0: I want to welcome you this morning, my name is Brian White, and I am so glad you're here this morning. Uh, we've been going through the book of Daniel, we're going to do about the first half of Daniel actually, um, and today we're, we're moving to Daniel 4, and Daniel 4 is a fascinating, fascinating chapter. It's very different than the rest of Daniel on a lot of levels, and um, one way that is different is it's actually, it's, it's, it's a testimony, it's kind of like a witness, the whole chapter and it's written like an open letter. And very different than, than the rest of the book. But the bigger deal is who wrote this letter and who wrote this chapter. Because King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon is the, the one who um, he he's the one who wrote this 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 chapter. And the the, the ruler of Babylon, the, the person who is responsible. For the conquering of Israel, moving the entire citizenry over to Babylon, uh, you know, he, he besieged Jerusalem, had the city torn down, God's city. He, he picked up. He just after he butchered so many of God's children, they, they dispersed them throughout Babylon, God's people. And so Daniel four is this man's witness of his personal experience with the God of Israel. And that's going to get more and more interesting as we get into this chapter. So just listen to the first three verses of Daniel 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, all nations, all languages that live throughout the earth, may you have abundant prosperity. The signs and the wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. I am pleased to recount how great are his signs? How mighty his wonders? His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his sovereignty is from first generation to generation. So the king's gone from trying to squash the Jews, trying to force them to, to leave the worship of their God and take on the Babylonian gods. I, he's gone to being an evangelist for the one true God. I mean, what happened? Well, that's what this chapter is about, because God happened. The king wrote this after he had an encounter with the living God, and it changed him forever, and it was not a fun time at all, because he was seriously humbled. And the sad thing is, it all could have been prevented if he would have listened to the warnings that God had sent him. And it all started with a dream, this second dream that King Nebuchadnezzar has. Uh, He he gathered all of his magicians and all of his sorcerers and his enchanters together and he tells them the dream and no one can explain it to him. But then he told him the dream to Daniel. Listen to 10 through 17. The king recounts, Upon my bed, this is what I saw. There was a tree at the center of the earth. And its height was great. And the tree grew great and strong, and its top reached up to heaven, and it was visible to the ends, the whole ends of the earth. And its foliage was beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and it provided food for all. The animals of the field found shade upon it, under it. The birds of the air nested in their branches, and from it all living beings were fed. And I continued looking in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and there was a holy watcher coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud, cut down the tree, chop off its branches, strip its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the animals flee from beneath it and the birds from its branches, but leave its stump and its roots in the ground. With a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let him be bathed with the dew of heaven, and let his lot be with the animals of the field in the grass of the earth. And let his mind be changed from that of a human, and let the mind of an animal be given to him, and let seven times pass. This sentence is rendered by decree of the watchers. The decision is given by the order of the Holy Ones in order that all who live may know That the most high is sovereign over the kingdom of mortals. He gives to whom he will and sets it over the lowest of human beings. So Daniel listened to this and, and, and then he explained the dream to the king. Daniel said, the tree that you saw grew great and strong so that its top reached to heaven and is visible to the end of the whole earth, whose foliage was beautiful, its fruit was abundant, and it provided food for all under which the animals of the field lived and in whose branches the birds of the air had nests. It's you, O king. You have grown great and strong. Your greatness has increased. Reaches to heaven and your sovereignty to the ends of the earth. It's you, O king. Daniel told the king that he was this tree that reached all the way to heaven and was visible to everyone on the whole earth. The king dreamed he was the tree that fed everyone. That he was the tree that sheltered everyone. And something tells me the king already knew that part. Because a tree, it's just like the Tower of Babel in Genesis. Same function. Do you remember the story? Humans thought that they were so great that they could build a tower on their own power to merge heaven and earth. But the point was, that was God's job to do, not humans' job. Meaning, they were putting themselves in the place of God. So here, King Nebuchadnezzar sees himself as a great cosmic tree, able to merge heaven and earth as one. And again, that's God's job to do. That's not the king's job. So basically, this dream is saying that King Nebuchadnezzar has written himself a new job description and the job title reads, God. Ego much? King Nebuchadnezzar is a perfect example of how difficult it is for someone who is in a position of power to avoid corruption. And it's not being important that is the issue, it's when you start to think that you're important. And this has a tendency to just kind of snowball. Sure, the king's Babylon. Very important, right? He was the key to the empire's empire's success. But the problem is, when you're in a position of power, if you're a king or a president, or for us in this room, if you're just somebody in charge of someone else, right? I mean, maybe it's a CEO, uh, maybe, you know, a teacher in a classroom, maybe a manager, maybe a coach, maybe a cop, maybe a pastor. It doesn't matter. When you're in authority over another person, there's a healthy line of humility. And Nebuchadnezzar just lost sight of that line. I'm going to continue with Daniel's interpretation, 24 to 27. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High that has come upon my Lord, the King. You shall be driven away from human society. Your dwelling shall be with the wild animals. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen. You shall be bathed with the dew of heavens, and seven times shall pass over you until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals. And gives it to whom he will. As it was commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be reestablished from the time that you have learned that heaven is sovereign. Therefore, O king, may my counsel be acceptable to you. Atone from your sins with righteousness. Your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed. So that your prosperity may be prolonged. Yeah, I, th- I think we need to remember who's talking to who here. We're skipping over a lot. This is, this is huge. This is the king who invaded God's city, Jerusalem. And they, like I say, they butchered Israel. And then they carted off the survivors and dispersed them, like Daniel, dispersed them throughout Babylon, Right? And God is speaking through Daniel to the king. Daniel not only told the king what's going to happen if he continues his egomaniacal path, but he also tells him how to prevent it. And I think this is fascinating. Because the amazing thing here, both God and the prophet Daniel, they have compassion And they have concern for the king. It's not vindictiveness at all. And I think this is important because this is a call to repent. And we need to talk about repent. So, you know, we we get um, from from the Latin uh, more concept of penitence. And we think repentance means that we're supposed to do self-flagellation or whatever like that. You know, it comes from the Hebrew verb shuv. In in Greek, it's metanoia, but the Hebrew verb shuv, and it simply is the verb to turn. And so in Hebrew, you you, you shuv, you shuv, you shuv, you turn. Whenever we're called to repent, behind that is not self-flagellation, but it's, it's a call to turn your life. It's turning your life from where you're going back to God. That's all it is. So you can avoid so much hurt and so much humiliation. King, if you would just turn right now. Turn from where you're going, you're going to crash. Now, how often does God tell us in one way or another that we're headed for serious trouble unless we change direction? And how often does the issue that we need to turn from have to do with our pride? And how often do we fail to listen? And then our world comes crashing down. I mean, so often, we know our behavior is wrong, right? But we don't change our behavior. And we start to justify it. And then, you know, we look at others to justify, and we think, well, they're doing it worse, you know. And and we look around, and we see other people, and they're doing similar things, and, and, you know, we judge them by their actions. We judge ourselves by our intentions, you know. We rationalize it. I didn't really mean to do that. And it wasn't as bad as, you know, could have been. And we start to think consequences are going to happen to other people because they deserve it. But not me. I'm going to be okay. You know, one of the biggest issues when it comes to indiscretions of power is the thought, I deserve this. And we need to understand, we're living in the midst of Babylon right now. Babylon is a concept. Babylon as a metaphor. And Babylon is doing everything it can to suck you in. To pull you down. The world has a very different ethical standard. The world has a very different moral compass than the kingdom of God. And we need to turn to it. Don't let it corrupt us. Because no matter how much you think you're going to be okay, you will not. It will catch up. It took a year after Daniel interpreted the king's dream... Until it caught up with him, but it caught up with him. Listen to 28 to 33. All of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king said, Is this not the magnificent Babylon which I have built as a royal capital by my power and my glorious majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you is declared, the kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven away from human society, and your dwelling shall be with the animals of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like oxen, and seven times shall pass over you, until you have learned that the Most High has sovereignty over the kingdom of mortals and gives it to whom he will." Immediately, the sentence was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Driven from society, ate grass like oxen, his body was bathed with the dew of heaven until his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails became like bird's claws. God sent warning signals, but he failed to heed them. Did you hear the king's last words before this voice came from heaven as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace? I don't know if you have heard uh, about the hanging gardens of Babylon. They were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And this is what he was looking at as he was saying these things. This is what the cosmic tree that emerged heaven and earth, in his dream, was looking at. What he thought was his creation. As he said, is this not magnificent Babylon, which I have built as a royal capital by my power, for my glorious majesty. I have built my power. In the Aramaic, there's like this emphasis on the self here. It's, it's, I myself have built for my own mighty power, for my own glorious majesty. It's all about him. Everything is all about him. He did it all. So what did Daniel say? Atone for your sin with righteousness, your iniquities with mercy to the oppressed. Now the English It works here, but actually, King James nailed it. um, Where they actually, he actually wrote mercy to the poor. That's a much more accurate translation. King James was break off thy sins by righteousness and thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. The king lost touch with his purpose because leaders are supposed to take care of their followers. Kings are in a position to protect and to take care of their subjects. And the king was totally out of touch with that. He was fascinated with himself and the things that he had built. And and his dream was that he was this cosmic tree that was merging heaven and earth. And, And it was all about him. Everyone, everything, all of creation was there under his shade. He was the center of it all. And he thought he was God. And Daniel warned him. Daniel warned him. But he didn't listen. The higher the pedestal, the deeper, bigger the fall, right? And, and he fell. Seven years of living like a cow. I just think that's funny. Living like a cow. Who even thinks that up? But the, this is all over the Bible, this is, I, I, God pulls down the proud and lifts the lowly. God's hatred of pride juxtaposed with his love and his concern for the poor. All over the Bible. Proverbs 16, 18 through 19. Pride goes before destruction. Haughty spirit before a fall. It's better to be lowly spirit among the poor than divide the spoil with the proud. Matthew 23, 12, All who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I mean going on and on and on and on. One of my favorite in the Gospel of Luke, Mary, she learns that she's gonna give birth to the Savior, and she sings this song called the Magnificat, and it's explanation of what God is doing in and through the birth of Jesus. And listen just couple verses from that. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones. He has lifted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Now here's the point. That's Mary explaining what God was doing when Jesus was being born. But I tell you, you could cut and paste that. That could be the explanation of what God is doing to the king in Daniel. It's a biblical maxim. God humbles the proud and lifts the lowly. When we become proud, we don't take care of the lowly. And when we start thinking everything that we've done, all that we have is due to our greatness, we join King Nebuchadnezzar. We're out there in the fields, grazing on grass, like a bunch of cows. And and the point is, God sends warnings. Like I said, this is all over the Bible, but we never have ears to hear. We don't pay attention, because we don't want to hear. Because that's for somebody else, that's not for me. You know, as a pastor who has seen time and time and time again, ego and pride, Just ruin a person and their relationships. I'll tell you, if we would only listen, we would just save ourselves of so much agony. And and I just want us to, I desperately want us to learn from this. So we don't have to learn it firsthand. And so often, Christians, we're the worst. I mean, (laughs) we put on airs like we are these amazing spiritual giants and, and it's all a facade, It's all a facade. Our lives are a facade. Our spirituality is a facade. It's just a little thin veneer. You know, it's so ironic. Throughout the Gospels, they never thought Jesus was holy enough. I just think this is fascinating. You read the Gospels, and they say things. He doesn't fast like he's supposed to. He spends time with the wrong people, doing the wrong things. I mean, he doesn't pray right. He doesn't observe the Sabbath right. You know, it's so ironic. Right after Jesus, he teaches about love and forgiveness and, and not judging others in the Sermon on the Plain and Luke. But then right after that, his own cousin, John the Baptist, sends a couple guys to Jesus to ask, are you the one we're supposed to wait for or is there another? Translated, Jesus, you're not matching our expectations, right? You know, you're not holy enough to be the Messiah. Doing the wrong stuff. Jesus, Jesus, he didn't have the arrogance and he didn't have the attitude that everyone knew that religious leaders are supposed to have. But God sees through the facade. And God loves us enough to discipline us because we aren't right. I mean, we could choose to be humbled or we will be humbled. It's a lot easier if you choose to do it yourself. But, but, but we love to push it. And we love to see how far we can get, right? The closer you get to the line of inappropriate behavior, then you start flirting with it. And, and you want to see how close you can get and before you actually cross the line. And after a while, I think it's, it's, it's kind of like a drug. I mean, simply crossing the line doesn't have the effect that it used to And it starts to take over, and so we cross more and more. And and, and from where that original boundary was, it's so far behind us. And, And for some of us, it's a power issue. You start out wanting to know how far you could push your authority. But then you started to enjoy it. For others, maybe it was a thought that at first you didn't act upon. You didn't do anything, but eventually you took a bite of that forbidden fruit. I mean, it's different for everyone, is my point, but this is a human struggle. It's universal. God will send warnings. You will crash if you don't turn from where you're going and turn back to God. And he gives us a choice. You know, for public leaders, grazing in a, in a field like a cow, I mean, that's the type of thing that makes the evening news. But Nebuchadnezzar teaches us that that learning the hard way is still a gift. It's a gift because it's God loves us and God cares for us, and he wouldn't bother disciplining us in the first place if he didn't love us. And did you hear the king's dream? I mean, the tree was cut down to the stump, but the stump was supposed to stay in the ground with the root because it wasn't done. And then, after seven years, King Nebuchadnezzar was restored, is the point. And at that point, he praised God for the disciplining, for the journey, the cow thing and everything. He realized it was for his own health, it was for his own well being, and for everyone around. And and that's what discipline is for, right? It's not punishment for punishment's sake, discipline seeks justice. It it rights wrongs and it corrects behavior. That's what we do when we discipline our children. I mean, that's what God does for us by the grace of God. Like the king, we're able to come back, and things may look different. But but I'll tell you what: the king realized God had given him a gift, and he repented. He turned. Daniel 4.34 When that period was over, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored the one who lives forever for his sovereignty is an everlasting sovereignty and his kingdom endures from generation to generation and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does what he wills with the hosts of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth, there's no one who could stay his hand or say to him, What are you doing? At that time, my reason returned to me, and my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My counselors and lords sought me out. I was reestablished over my kingdom, and still more greatness was added. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the honor of the King of heaven. All his works are true. His ways are justice. He is able to bring low those who walk in pride. I, 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 we need to learn this lesson so it doesn't happen to us. And every one of us has an issue. I, I, I've been pastor long enough. I mean, just nothing surprises me at this point. Is there something in your heart that you need to turn over to God. I mean, some dark thing. You know, God, you can have my life. You can have my heart. But let's leave that door closed because I, I want to be king of that. You can have the rest. I mean, I, I, but I want to be the tree that stretches from earth and heaven in this little small piece of the pie. You can have the entire rest of the forest, though, God. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's your bank account. You know, your business, and and you think this is all because of me, and I am the creator, and I am responsible. It doesn't work that way. If Jesus is going to be your king, if you're going to live in his kingdom, you can't be king of this and let him be king of the rest. What's behind that door for you? Is it pride? Is it lust? I, I, what have you not given over to God? Where do you feel as if you were a cosmic tree? That's going to be your downfall right there. That's your thing. Don't wait and learn the hard way. The message of the resurrection, there is always hope. No matter how dark the tomb seems there's life